Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have, I hope, a very fun show lined up for you. Um, One of my oldest friends, Gabriel Ebert, uh, is coming on the pod today. We met the summer after our freshman year in college, if you can believe it, at Chautauqua Theater Company, where we roomed together. Um, you'll hear me joke later in the pod when I introduce him about me playing Wint Selby, which is the titular role in Odd Wilderness. Of course, it's not. Um, Gabe was playing the leading role of Dick Miller uh, in that Eugene O'Neill play. Um, but we did a number of shows together that summer and just had such a blast. I will not forget doing Much Ado with him. I was Baraccio and I forget what his role was. He was like my henchman and it was just a blast laughing uh, um, doing that show. Um, we've also played in numerous basketball games together, um, which is why you'll hear a real abundance of sports references in the podcast. Gabe is also about 6'4", and so the two of us pounding in the post together um, was a great time in our young 20s. Um, This episode is another one of our artist explorations, where we're going to look at the college process and what carry forward into the career of some successful artists today, like Gabe. Uh, Today, we talked about feeling seen in an audition and finding a school that will really see you. Uh, We talked about why you might not always need to do pieces that nobody has ever heard before. Uh, We talked about the mamba mentality for artists, uh, translating stage work to TV and film, uh, embracing your inner kindergartner, and what it is to win an audition room in the virtual world. Uh, Next up after this episode, we have Mark Madama from the University of Michigan and another one of our college deep dive episodes. Really looking forward to that. Um, But for now, let's get to the interview with Gabe. All right, I'm here today with my buddy Gabriel Ebert. Uh, Gabe is from Colorado. He attended Juilliard. Um, he has some Broadway credits here, a bunch of them. He was in Red, uh, Brief Encounter, Casa Valentina, Therese Requin, Time and the Conways. Uh, and in 2013, Gabe won the Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Musical in Matilda the Musical. Uh, He's also been in a bunch of off-Broadway and regional uh, things. He's been in 4,000 Miles, where he won the 2011 Obie Award. Lots of film, lots of TV. Um, But I think Gabe is probably best known for starring in a a summer season of Chautauqua Theatre Company, where he played a a supporting role of Dick Miller in Eugene O'Neill's lesser-known Ah Wilderness, A Wint Selby Story, um, supporting yours truly in the titular role. Um, Gabe, does that bio sound good to you and accurate? That sounds very, very on, on point. Okay, good. I thought, yes, not, not everyone knows that play. No, no, the Wint, Wint Selby is kind of lost to time, and that's a shame. It's a shame. It's a shame. It's one of those characters that if you'd only fleshed it out a little bit more. Uh-huh. Um, 
Anyway, how are you, man? Uh, we, we promised you entrance applause. We'll give it to you now. Uh, Gabe, for those of you only listening today, Gabe comes to us in full ascot um, regalia <laughs> with beautiful background behind. So um, we're very excited to have him on the podcast. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> you bet. Um, okay, so I'm going to take you back. We're going to dive right in. I'm going to take you back to like 16, 17 years old. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm going to ask you... Uh, uh, maybe a difficult question, but if you had been a kind of precocious enough student to have like a mission statement for your college experience of what you think you were looking for, I think I want this in a college. What do you think it would have been? If I was precocious enough and, and, and I sort of had the focus to know, I knew that I wanted to study drama. I knew that I wanted to be an actor. I knew that I wanted to be in New York City because that's mm -hmm. where I uh, knew that the plays were being done, that people cared about. And I think I would say that I wanted total immersion in craft um, mm -hmm. for acting. And if I'm being honest, as little science and maths as, as possible. <laughs> Worth being honest then. And how, how do you feel like if you were to look back now at 30 some years old and we're going to now say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this all again. I want to, you know, look at my 18 year old training. Obviously you went to a fantastic drama school, but is there anything that would have changed about what you think you were looking for in an educational experience? I don't think so. I think I was very uh, lucky and blessed. And actually some of my naivete, some of my lack of um, uh, perhaps pointed focus, I think is, is what actually led me to the place that I ended up. I really wanted to go to NYU, I think, because I wanted to be in New York and that was New York University. It seems so- um, It's right in the name. It's in the name, frankly. I only read headlines and titles. That's kind of, <laughs> at least my 16-year-old self did. And so at that point, I thought it was NYU or bust. I actually hadn't really heard of Juilliard until a good friend of mine was in his college auditioning process and was telling me about it. He was a couple years older than I was. And so it wasn't until I was actually in the audition process and I went to NYU and I toured the school and I met some of the professors there and auditioned for them that I realized maybe this wasn't the place for me. And it helped that I didn't get into NYU. But in, why was it not the right place, if you don't mind me asking? Just the math and science? Or, or was there anything else that felt like, well, this maybe is not the right fit for me as I, I was I, I do think that my um, test scores weren't up to the par that they were expecting, um, but also just the the vibe of the place when I went, the vibe of the students and of the professors, the care and attention that I felt um, in the audition process, it it didn't seem um, as and and this is no knock on them. This was just my personal experience as a young man. Uh, it just didn't seem as kind of life affirming, as joyous as my experience when I went to a couple of the other places that I auditioned at, and I felt. Um, more like a, just like a piece of grain in an, in an enormous mill rather than when I um, auditioned at Juilliard and felt like I was seen a little bit or like people looked at me and the students who were working in the hallways and helping out with the audition process took the time to ask me my name and, and you know, encourage me to take a deep breath. And I, I, I remember feeling just a sort of just a sort of joy, uh, a sort of levity in that experience. And I, and I didn't have that experience when I went to NYU or some other schools as well. Yeah. I almost dread to ask this question because I fear the number will be low, but how many schools did we audition for? I think I auditioned for five schools. Mm -hmm. 
And that's how you do it, folks. You audition for five schools and you get into Juilliard. It's just that yeah. easy, right? That's it, what we it recommend. It really wasn't that difficult sure. at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, which other schools did you audition for? I auditioned for Philadelphia School of the Arts, uh -huh. NYU, Fordham, Emerson. Okay, maybe one more. And I, I auditioned for a school in Colorado, University of Northern Colorado, which has a great theater program. And sure. um, when I was in high school, I was a competitive thespian. So I competed in the mm -hmm. thespian conferences um, mm -hmm. all four of my years in high school. And then I got to go to nationals a couple years and compete at Lincoln, Nebraska, where they held that. And um, the man who, who ran the program at UNC was very kind to me and encouraged me to come audition and... and mm and told me, if you don't get into Juilliard, you better come here. And then <laughs> when I did get into Juilliard, I called him and, and he was very sweet and supportive and, and has been since. Hmm, I love that. I would say some of your friends would still say you're kind of a competitive thespian. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's, that's come up a couple of times. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> um, what do you think? So you speak to, talk a little bit and I really think it's a, a, an interesting um, thought of like almost the the positive attributes of your naivete at back then. Um, mm -hmm. I just love to hear a little bit about like, what do you think at 17 you did really well that you go, I'm almost jealous of like, I was so this, what, what, what worked for you at 17? What worked for me at 17, I think was I, um, I had a lot of energy, I think. And it was, it was a mostly positive energy because, um, because of, I don't know, various reasons, but one of the things that was a strength is a willingness to try things, hmm. to uh, a willingness to throw away the thing that I had prepared and do something totally new. Hmm. And um, I think that I thrive on being in an ensemble and on playing with others. And one of the things that I think was a strength is that um, I, I wasn't hoarding my own experience trying to make it about me getting into school actually my best experiences of auditioning like in in the Juilliard experience there was a callback in which maybe 30 25 30 people came back and we all got together in a room with the faculty and played some games and i remember that my faculty members later telling me that that, that was when they really saw that i'd be uh, an asset to the school is that i mm -hmm played well with others, you know, to put it in sort of layman's terms, and that it brought out something good in me and that I could bring out something good in other people. There was a sense of joy, a sense of play. I love that. We we're talking with one of our pre previous interviews about like what was written down on the audition card. And it does feel like a lot of those words are like what you get in kindergarten, like plays totally. well with others. Totally. Seems to be having fun. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Great, I'm winning. I mean, I, yes. Those things in kindergarten, you know, they, they come back. It's It's no mistake that we're always talking about our inner child trying to find that childlike sense of wonder all this stuff and as i've grown older and and been doing this for longer i th those things are really resonating with me that i'm i'm trying to find that 16 year old joy that i had and that mm. sort of not necessarily the naivete although in in a way i am trying to rediscover that because i think that was one of my one of my great strengths I totally, totally agree. Um, what, what if you were to go back and like note, if you were coaching your 17 year old self and you say, oh, Gabe, you need this. You are missing this. What's something that you feel like um, you maybe have now learned that you didn't have back then? Not a single thing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, this, this is interesting. When I, when I was auditioning for drama school, I hope I'm not jumping the gun getting to another question, but I feel like this is related to the thing you just asked me. Jump away, jump away. I was very intent on picking pieces that, 
these faculty members would not have heard before. And when I was doing my classical pieces, I was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the jailer in Cymbeline. He only has this one speech, but it's so weird and it's so good. And, and they've heard these other speeches a thousand times. And um, I went to an art school in Denver for high school, Denver School of the Arts. And one of the people in my class, his mother had gone to Juilliard and she was in group five or six. And so I was able to talk to her when I was a junior and I was auditioning. She was like, why are you doing the jailer from Cymbeline? What are these monologues? What are you doing? You got to do Romeo. You got to do Prince Hal. And I was like, you're insane. They hear a thousand Romeos. And she said, no, but they haven't heard yours. And that was a big eye opener for me. And I tossed out the jailer from Cymbeline. I've gone back and reread it. And I thought, man, this would have been a terrible audition piece. But I ended up choosing Romeo and choosing Prince Hal for my classical pieces and um, bringing myself to it and, and finding myself within it. And I, I really thank her for that, that bit of wisdom that she gave me, that it's not, about doing, it's not about picking a piece no one's ever heard before. It's about being yourself and bringing that into the room. And, and I think I was very grateful to have her because in a way I sort of got that wisdom from someone who'd been in the business and who'd gone through the program as a young man, I was able to get that wisdom. Um, and then myself looking back, I don't know, in, in, in ways my, my journey has been so blessed and, and I've, I've, uh, been able to, I've been able to really work on some incredible projects that I, I would be hesitant to go back and tweak things in the past. You know, I'm, I'm working on tweaking myself now. Totally. Yeah. Don't change the timeline. You ended up in a good place. Makes sense. Um, all right. So let's jump forward to those college years a little bit. You ended up at fantastic school in, at Juilliard. Um, give me like one word, or if you need a couple words, a word phrase of what it was like for you. So tell me about kind of the Juilliard experience for you, Gabe Hubert. I would say discipline, family, um, rigor, mm. craft. Seems like a lot of the things you were looking for in that mission statement of, you know, you were engrossed in the craft. Very true. That's really great. Very true. Um, okay. This is our fun, our game portion of the podcast. Oh, good. Um, so we're going to try to do, a, it's called a college flashback round. Okay. This is like the, the lightning round on Family Feud it's, or something. We're going fast. It's like the lightning round. And just like that, you'll get $20,000 if you win this one. So fantastic. this is fantastic. Really exciting. Pay um, off some of these college loans. This sounds great. <laughs> exactly. Um, I believe our record, uh, Megan, is this true? Something like... 11 or 12? It is 12. Oh my goodness. All right. All right. He stretched. His his knuckles have been cracked. Buttigata, 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 buttigata. I'm ready. Tipeka, buttigata, tipeka, buttigata, tipeka, buttigata. Okay, Megan, when you are ready, you can count us in. All right, gentlemen, here we go. Favorite show you did in school? The Greeks. Snack that got you through college? Peanuts. Did you kiss anyone in your class? Many times, different people, yes. <laughs> Class you never used again in your life. Oh, liberal arts. Classmate you learned the most from. Mechi Aharanwa. Hmm. Uh, alumni that you really wanted to be when you grew up. Boyd Gaines. A teacher you uh, learned the most from. Richard Feldman, Rebecca Guy. Oh, double. Worst fashion choice that you made in college. Uh, ascot. Most memorable <laughs> acting exercise that you did. Singing Happy Birthday. Ever possess a fake ID? No. Oh, I think the no did not get in there. I heard the mm. dingy dings before the no. It was close. It's the snack that killed you. You it's wasted three snack. seconds on the snack. That's so That's interesting. I had no recollection of what I ate when I was at Juilliard. Eating there, you had so little time to 
to eat. It was mostly just like get sustenance and continue. You know what I mean? Just shove it in and keep going. I also really appreciate that you clarified many times with different classmates because that would have been a really funny answer if you're like many times with this one. <laughs> we didn't just kiss the once. I kissed her many times. Well. Good answer. Um, <laughs> Megan, how, how many did we actually get there? I'll have to look at the buzzer beater, but oh, no. it's a nine, nine or ten. I think oh, nine or ten feels right. God, oh, the buzzer beater was close. It was the snack. Was it was the snack. And, and the alumni. Who did I want to be, you know? I know. I know. It's so much pressure. The, the know, Matthew McConaughey answer is I wanted to be myself in ten years. I saw you almost saying it, and I was like, he's given too much <laughs> ego in the podcast so far. You can't exactly. go back and say that again. That's not possible. Exactly. Not possible. Um, no, that was great. I think it's the worst performance we've seen yet. But um, Fantastic. Really, thank you for for playing. It's really good. Sometimes Pleasure. it's the extraordinary lows that also set the the bar mm -hmm. for other people to to sort of you know recognize. It's like the Mendoza line is what you've given us now. Beautiful reference for those of you at home. The Mendoza yes, line. Mendoza line. <laughs> no, I don't. This this isn't a baseball podcast, but but we do no, love baseball metaphors. Any we sports do. metaphors, yeah. Charlie and I will be using them. I'll use it. We've already had Steve Nash quoted in the podcast. We're just, really? you know, we're going to use him whenever we can. Oh, good. We didn't I'll have him on the podcast. We're trying to book him, but we did just have him quoted. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard I heard that his Hamlet was brilliant when he was in college. Oh, you haven't seen his Prince Hal. I mean, no, my God. No, I haven't. He was running point the whole time. <laughs> Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, a little slower look back for the Juilliard years. Um, if you were just, you know, I know sort of jokingly threw some stuff out there of, of who you remembered. And, but if there's like a big takeaway, what's like the biggest thing you're grateful to have under your belt uh, as a professional? Like what you learned in school that you say, oh, I'm so glad I got this from, and maybe specifically from school. Hmm. That's a great question. So much of the stuff I feel like becomes like cellular. You, you just work so hard for four years, it, it sort of gets into your body. And then there's things that I use uh, that I probably don't even know I'm using. And I feel like there, when, when I am in a play, when I'm doing a run of a play, eight shows a week, I think one of the things that it really gave me is um, the... The knowledge that I have to show up early and work hard and I uh, have to bring myself to the play each night. And, you know, when I was doing Matilda, for instance, I, I did it for a year. So I did over 400 performances and, and some Wednesday afternoons, it, it can be tough to find the motivation to get up and get to work and, and, and give the performance that you know you're capable of giving. But um, the privilege of being able to do it, to be in that position, and also the knowledge that there might be someone in the audience who's never seen a play before, or there might be some mm -hmm. little kid in the audience who 
who will be inspired by this particular performance. And they just happen to be here on a Wednesday afternoon. And that's, that's not anybody's fault. You know, that's just, that's just the, the way that it shook out. And so, um, when I'm, when I'm in a play, I'm one of the first people in the theater. I have a physical warm up. I have a vocal warm up. I do my Alexander technique warm up, and I and I try and get myself into a position to perform well, much like Steve Nash does as a player and probably as a coach now. Um, I'm finding that harder on film and TV sets because um, the work is much more ephemeral to me, and I I'm still trying to find my way to bring myself to give great performances on film um, because I feel like film performances are often so understated and it's so internal what needs to be done. And so if I get there early and I do my physical warm up and my vocal warm up, I find that I can often um, hamper my ability to give a great performance because I start doing things a little too big or I start doing things mm. with too much energy. And I think when I'm watching my work on film, I, I find it to be um, a little disingenuine, even though in the moment I I feel like I'm bringing my best self. I think that there's something about it, it's and it's more of an internal work that I need to do. And of course, the Juilliard training prepares you for a life in the theater, not for a life on film, which is ironic because mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. we look to the alumni who have done great work on film. And so many. I might adjust my Boyd Gaines answer to Robin Williams, by the way. Uh oh. But okay. regardless, that that means I lose one. Now I only get nine answers. Sorry, Boyd. <laughs> Boyd will be fine. Well, it's also a really interesting um, point, especially it feels like in what is you know repeatable as a baseline performance from a theater perspective. If there is a little bit of muscle and technique in that, um, it is really interesting to think that some of those same muscles of repeatability are actually hampering you from a, a film perspective makes a lot of sense. If it's a yeah. more, it's a different thing to go, can I do this once and really find what comes naturally versus can I deliver this eight shows a week every of time? Of course. And if you, and if you spend, and I have found if I spend my time on set in a film or something trying to repeat, not only do I make it less interesting uh, for myself and for everyone on set, but the editor doesn't have as much, um, as much pure gold to mine through. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because and that's they're what just your looking, work is. Let's that's say what my work gold. is, baby. Denver nugget gold. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I, I'm really trying to bring myself um, to work in a different way now when I, when I go to set because it's, it's, it's actually every time you do something, even if it's great, you have to throw it away and you have to let it go. It's almost you know meditative. Yeah. As you say, it's a different sport. I mean, you're the same athlete, but you're playing a different sport when mm -hmm. you're on a Broadway musical versus when you're doing a TV gig, you're doing a movie. It's a, it is a, it needs a different approach. Absolutely. Um, is there anything that you feel like, I, I, I feel like I'm anticipating your no regrets attitude, which I love, but is there anything that um, you kind of wish you'd done differently in school? If you could look back and go, I wish I paid a little more attention in this class, or I wish I had, you know, treated this show a little differently. Yeah. Um, hmm. I like to think I brought myself pretty uh, fully every day that I was there. But I do think that, um, I mean, it's tough because you're a kid when you get to college. And I feel like you grow up over the course of it. One one thing that I maybe wish is that I spent a little less time trying to indulge in the pleasures of the senses. And mm. maybe um, I would have been able to focus a little more on on some of the technical aspects, the things that I found more boring. In our fourth year, we had a class called The Real World. And I think I resented just the title of the class, but it, it taught you how to do your taxes. It taught you how to mm -hmm. um, 
bring yourself to the business aspect of it and to be able to, um, yeah, you know, just, just balance your checkbook and do, do, do the simple things. And mm-hmm. I sort of disregarded that class cause it wasn't artistic, you know, and if something wasn't artistic, if something was a little more technical, sometimes I would be, um, slightly dismissive of it because it didn't, it didn't bring me sort of pleasure in the other ways, you know, and, and, and maybe I would, uh, then, if I knew that was the first class in the morning, the next day I'd stay out a little bit later the night before and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so I think maybe I could have had a little more, um, but I guess that's also becoming an adult, you know, prioritizing your time. Well, I think it speaks a little bit toward the specificity of Juilliard in that you have 18 year old, you know, really college students who you went in at 18 really as a very young man, very mature, but very young man. And then you also have what is the equivalent of graduate students, even though you're mm-hmm. all in the same class who are full adults in the same class. So I was think it's a really interesting dynamic that you're, you guys are mixed together. And I'm sure some of the maturity levels are. Yeah, and I lived with a grad student. You know, when I moved out of the dorms, I lived with Adam Driver and we were classmates together. And not only was he a grad student, he, he'd been in the military. So he had all this yes. discipline. He was incredibly rigorous and, um, you know, ran from our apartment in Queens to school every day. I remember trying to <laughs> keep up with him and I just, uh, I just couldn't do it. I remember, um, I, I, my best friend Alejandro is also really great, really good friends with, with Gabe. And my um, classmate at Juilliard. And your classmate. And I remember I visited, uh, what it was, you would have been your first year and like took one of your movement classes and we showed up like early, like early, like 20 minutes early, it's earlier than I ever showed up for class. Mm-hmm. And Adam was already in a full lather, like fully had, was sweating had already done a full workout, like in the room, yeah. <laughs> like the first one there. That's the, that's the Mamba mentality. And you can see that, you know, it's, it's, it's served him well. We'll see how much basketball we can sneak into this podcast. That's great. Um, so let's talk a little bit uh, about now you've graduated. So you're 22. Um, you may have been 21, whatever you've graduated now. Um, I was 22. 22. Tell me a little bit about what it's like navigating that time. So you've already been in New York city and now here you are, you're out Mm -hmm. of school You've got this great training, this great reputation of a, of a school behind you. What was it like in those first couple of years figuring out the business? And, and maybe how did you use the resources of your school scholastic training for those first couple of years? I was very fortunate. Um, our school, as, as many of the conservatory programs do, and, and even um, non-conservatory training programs, uh, we had a showcase in New York and in LA, and I was very fortunate to get an agency out of that. I signed with an agency, a bi-coastal agency, but I signed with them in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, in LA uh, during the showcase, actually something went, went wrong in my scene. Uh, some prop that we had like fell and broke in the middle of it. And I was able to sort of get a big laugh out of it. And, and, and it was this really great moment. And so my scene partner and I both signed with the same agency and, and we had like some heat, you know, because it was like, oh, these guys can think on their feet, that kind of thing. So drop the prop. My God. Yeah, exactly. Look at them go. <laughs> so I decided to move to Los Angeles after graduating mm-hmm. with stars mm-hmm. in my eyes, you know, part, I wanted to stay and work in the theater, but, but, um, my roommate who was also my classmate was moving to Los Angeles. So we were giving up our New York apartment. I had sort of felt like what happened in the LA showcase was exciting. And people were like, you got to come out here, kid, you know, you're going to be a star kid. <laughs> and so I, I went out there and I ended up waiting tables and, and, and just having a miserable five months of auditioning for things that I didn't believe in. You know, I had just been working on Shakespeare and the Greeks and, and playing these great roles on the stage. And, and then I remember auditioning for like guy who brings cup of water 
in in these procedural things and and the car that i had was was pretty old so it kept breaking down and all the money i made i had to put into the car and and i really started to feel quite mm. quite desperate and low which in a way i'm very grateful mm. for at the time it was brutal but in, in a way i i think it was very humbling to come out of juilliard and immediately have that experience um mm. someone who had seen me in my fourth year said uh that there was a job for an understudy uh, in this new two-hander play on Broadway, which was this play Red by John Logan. And would I fly out and audition for it? And I had about you know $600 saved up. And so I bought a flight to New York and, and I just, it felt, you know, it just felt like it was meant to be. And I, and I went, I went in with that, with that killer mentality as well of um, no one's going to, no one's going to beat me for this job. I'm going to get it. And because I felt like it was a lifeline. I felt like I was kind of drowning out there and here's like, here's a rope, grab onto it. Don't, don't let your hand slip. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was able to book that role and I moved back to New York with this understudy job because it was just a two hander. I think I was able to make a decent amount of money as an understudy. Mm -hmm. And, um, I came back and, um, you know, lived on a friend's floor for a couple months and then was able to, get an apartment and, and, and start my life. And that was like a five month run. So I was able to, to get a little bit of money and, and then start the mm -hmm. process up and, um, and start my sort of theatrical career. And I w I was able to put enough jobs back to back. I haven't had to, to wait tables since I was in LA there. Um, but I'm very grateful that I did have to. Um, so I don't know if that's about how the training helped me, but I do think that the, the discipline and the, uh, the rigor that I learned at Juilliard allowed me to come and just do that job really well. And I was fortunate enough to go on a few times in that play mm -hmm. and, um, and boy, was I prepared, you know, I was just, I, I was ready to go and I didn't, I didn't waste the opportunity. And so I think that, um, that's a credit to Juilliard and also just to that. I, I didn't want to go back to the place I'd been. Yeah. A bit of a credit to your hunger as well, which I think is sure. everyone's got to connect with whether that's literal hunger or, you know, from, from poverty or is, is the artistic hunger to go, I need to, I need this. I need this. You know, Absolutely. I just think it's so interesting. The, the allure of LA, even to someone like you, who that might necessarily not necessarily have been your biggest dream no. out of college of like, Oh, I want to be a movie star. You know, like you, no. you spoke about what, about the craft and what you're immersed in and what you want to be doing, you know, but still it's a, I mean, I was, I was this close to moving to LA too. I, I really, so much, oh, you have to come, you have to come now. If you're going to come, this is the time to come. Exactly. And thank God I had a job that I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do that job. I don't, this is not, but I really close, even though it's like not part of any mission statement I would have said for myself. I know. And it's I so want. interesting too. the people saying you got to come and you got to come now really don't know anything about you and, and ultimately <laughs> don't even particularly care. Yeah. <laughs> like you, there's a chance you can make me money and maybe not. There's and a chance not, you can make me money. Yeah. And, and if, and I can, am in a position of power enough to say this to you, you're, you're going to take it seriously. You got to do it now, kid. Yeah. And if they say yeah. kid at the end, it just makes it feel like, oh, they must be right. It also makes it feel like they're from the '60s too, which is mm -hmm. kind of nice. Mm -hmm. ah, kid, you gotta, you gotta do exactly. That. Yeah, um, it's so true. But now it seems like you really are uh, um, finding your way now to a, a diverse uh, career with TV and film and theater and classical theater. If we're going to even distinguish that, it feels like you really are getting a, a, a range of uh, um, different kinds of artistic expression, which for a lot of people is the dream, the goal. I am starting to, yeah, yeah. Very grateful for that. I have not yet gotten to do a professional Shakespeare play, which I lament, but I'm hoping the time will come and um, soon. And I shall, I shall bring myself fully.
Anyone who's listening to this podcast who wants to cast Gabe in a Shakespeare play, having seen him as Richard III in um, Juilliard's sophomore production, I say the- You saw yay. that? Of course I saw it. I saw you and Ale together right. taking each half of the show. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Thank you. Brilliant. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, are you doing anything to continue your education at the moment? Anything that, like, are you taking any classes, any kind of training, any self-study, um, other than listening to me talk? I know that's really helpful to you. Absolutely. This podcast is, is part of my ongoing education. Um, one of the things that I did during the pandemic, because of course there's no theater, you know, I think during a normal year, I go see dozens and dozens of plays Mm -hmm. and, um, it's tough to be bereft of all of that. But one of the things um, that I've never quite, an education I've never quite given myself is great film education. I grew up without a television in Colorado, so I never really watched that much film or television when I was a kid. Um, you know, I, I knew the hits like my hero when I was young, who I think made me want to do it was Jim Carrey, you know, because he was the mask. He was Ace Ventura. And I just thought that was it, you know, and I loved Hook. So I loved Robin Williams and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I wanted to be that kind of a clown. Um, but, uh, during the course of the pandemic, I invested in the Criterion collection and I've been watching just some of the great films and, uh, watching these performances. And especially now that I've had experience going on to set and acting in films. And I always thought when I was young, oh, theater's great, but film must be so cool because you're actually there in the castle and you're holding the sword and the dragon is there (laughs) and it's so real. It's so cool. And it's the exact opposite. It's so fake mm-hmm. and it's so um, sometimes heartbreakingly fake. There's no dragon. There's no castle. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's not even a sword. And Wait. So when you were a kid, you thought dragons were real. Sure. And that means if you're in a film, you have a real dragon there. Sure. My imagination was – I grew up without a television, so you know, I, I played a lot outside. My imagination was strong. Heck yeah. Which I also think is a testament to my parents, I think, is part of why I um, probably – have the aptitude for the things that I do. Right on the kindergarten report card. Absolutely. Imagination strong. Imagination strong, plays well with others, loves games. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and it's and it's way more fake than theater uh, because in the theater, you at least, once you get on the train, once the play starts, you, you got to go all the way through to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get to continue the journey. And if something goes awry, you figure it out. And that particular night, the journey takes this turn. And there's something, mm-hmm. there's something real about that because you have to do it. You have to go through it. Whereas, you know, my experience on film, oftentimes, you know, I had this one experience a couple of years ago where I was playing this great scene. It was a really emotional scene with, uh, you know, the woman who's playing my lover. We were sort of breaking up. Our life was falling apart. So we did her coverage to start and then we took lunch and you know, we're both like weeping and, and she's giving this beautiful performance and they've got two cameras in on her. She's sort of sitting against this wall in the corner and I was sitting on a chair like this. And um, then we take lunch. So, you know, there's like an hour and you eat some food and you're like, oh man, I'm feeling tired. Then we come back and do my coverage. But because she was sitting against the wall, they're like, oh, she can't actually fit in here. We're just going to have to put the camera here. Will you just look at this little dot on the camera? <laughs> and I didn't even get to look at her. And she was off in another room sort of shouting her lines. And this beautiful, tender scene that we'd been playing that, I, you know, and when we were doing her coverage, I, I wasn't half-assing it or anything. I was, I was invested. Mm-hmm. And, and she was, you know, to her credit, invested in the other room shouting her lines to me. It's like, okay, so I didn't even get to look at her. I didn't even get to play it with mm-hmm. her. And my coverage now is me fake crying, looking at a dot on 
I, I think it was like on the cameraman's arm. And they're just like, mm. yeah. And so as I watch these great films, I really am having respect and empathy well up in me for these actors. And you think, wow, how do these actors give such brilliant performances under these circumstances? And I think that is the strength of a film actor is like, um, there's this great Peter O'Toole quote in this movie, My Favorite Year, where they need him to do a live show. And he says, I'm not an actor, I'm a movie star. <laughs> and I do think there's something true to that, that it's it's a different... Um, it's an utterly different muscle and and so much of it is is personal and even if you you know I'm an ensemble guy I grew up playing a lot of sports as you probably can gather from this podcast so far I love sports I love being on a team I also loved Juilliard because I was part of an ensemble part of a class and m hmm. my classmates success is my success and if one of my classmates has a breakthrough that feels like a breakthrough to me I, I feel like a lot of the stuff I learned was watching other classmates have breakthroughs and you can learn great lessons there you know um, but, but yeah, this thing of watching great performances on film, I have a lot of, um, a lot of respect for these actors who do it, you know, and, and just think like, man, uh, this beautiful thing I'm weeping at, it, the other actor might not even have been on camera. They shot that on two different uh -huh. days. You know, I try not to let that infiltrate my mind too much because then I can't enjoy the film. But I do think, wow, how do you, how do you bring yourself to that work? And that I feel yes. like is a new training and, I, and I'm watching these great films and I feel like that's a, a good part of my education for not only just the history of the craft, but of, of the work that I want to be doing moving forward. And I think so many things are moving towards the screen because people are more and more want to be in their own homes. And I think people are scared to go sit in a theater of a thousand people. And so even plays now are being filmed. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I want to be able to deliver those things and, 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 and be able to watch them with less self-loathing. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's so true. And I, I have really gained a lot of respect, actually, not just for the great actors of film, but like the average actors of film. Absolutely. Like, it's really hard. Like people that I would have as a kid been like, oh my God, you think that person's a good actor? Like they're just like standing in front of a green screen and just, it's like, no, that's really hard. Yeah. Just can to, like, you imagine going accurately. and standing in front of a green screen and it's like, no, there's a thousand ants crawling on you. Go. <laughs> yeah you're like oh it looked a tiny bit hokey it's like yeah because there was nothing there exactly. they're doing their best it's very exactly. hard and those people probably get less time to do it you know they shoot the stars all day and then they're like we have 10 minutes left will you stand there in front of the green screen and do your ant thing you know <laughs> and you realize these moments of like but you as a professional you you got to deliver because that's going to be your moment on screen and nobody cares what your day was like nobody cares when they watch the movie that you were sitting in your trailer for 14 hours before you got called the set. Nobody cares. Yes. So. This ant thing seems so specific. Is that made up or did you have to once be covered in ants? I didn't, but I did once have to burn to death. Oh my. And so I, Just I had to enact being burned to death. And then I watched my stunt doubles actually burn, you know, and it was like a whole day uh -huh. of, of shooting the sequence where I self-emulate. Self-emulate. Well, speaking of self-emulation, um, let's get into a little bit of a wrap-up moment for the pod. Um, from your experience working with recent grads of college, so let's say 22 to 26-year-olds or something, what do you feel like these young adults know, with a capital K, know more than like our generation of actors do? So what do they understand about the world and the business that we can really learn from them? I think they understand the camera because they 
have grown up with iPhones in their pockets and taking pictures of everything in a way that we didn't. I think I got my first iPhone when I went to college. Um, I think that they understand how to market themselves on social media, how to be advocates of their own brand. Mm -hmm. Um, I sort of eschew social media. I have, I have none. And in a way I'm quite proud of that because I feel like with the positive elements of social media, there comes a lot, you know, a bright light casts a dark shadow. Mm -hmm. I, I feel the shadow very much, but I do see some of my colleagues really able to market themselves and monetize their talent, um, in this way. Um, how do you feel, and I'll get into maybe some of the ways that the industry is changing, especially in this past year of 2021, you know, when we talk about uh, demands for equity, um, or when we talk about, you know, sort of the way that the industry may be changing to be a more virtual industry, as you talk about, you know, our plays being filmed and, you know, our auditions happening more on Zoom, even when we uh, mm -hmm. come back. Um, I just love to hear kind of your thoughts on, on where this industry is and where you think it's going and, and how that world is going to affect uh, um, the business that we thought we knew? Yeah. Uh, well, what, one of the main things that I think affects an actor is most of your auditions now are self-tapes. Uh, when I was coming up in my day, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago, whatever, it was, you would go into town, you would walk mm -hmm. into an audition room, you'd sit in the waiting room with, with a bunch of other guys that look like you, and you'd be like, oh, what's this guy gonna do? Well, yeah, you could maybe even hear people through the walls. And you you had to bring yourself to these auditions, quite literally and figuratively. You had to, you had to bring yourself to the room. And mm -hmm. in a way, win the room. And I, I think one of my skills is I am, was able to win rooms. And I think that's how I was able to um, have success in the theater early on. Now, all of my auditions are on my own iPhone. I just make them at home. Mm -hmm. And that is a strain sometimes on my relationship because you have to lean on your partner to make these things with you, especially during the pandemic. If, you, if you're not in a bubble with someone, the only person that you can make a self-tape with is who you live with. And, and I also mm -hmm. have friends who live alone. And so I've read for them on Zoom or I've, uh, I even have a friend who recorded their own, li the, the other lines on a computer mm -hmm. and you press play. And there's just such, there's, uh, I, I really feel like that's um, not only a detriment to the joy of being an actor, but it's really hard to get give a performance that would get you a job. And it's really easy to get discouraged when you look and you're like, well, all these jobs are going to stars anyway. And mm -hmm. um, it, it, how can I possibly do my best work? You know, and some of the, some of the sides I get are like crazy to audition for. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, there's four characters in this scene. And I have to be screaming, crying. At one point I pull out a clump of my hair. It's like, how am I supposed <laughs> to do that in my own home and not put this stress on my relationship or on my friends? Mm -hmm. um, and you want to prepare a certain amount, but you also, it costs you to prepare a certain amount, especially if you feel like mm -hmm. the odds of you getting the job are pretty small. Um, so I think that's one of the things that's tough. There's this interesting sort of trend in show business where all these commercials are like real people, not actors. And oh my gosh, actors are being maligned as like, they're not real. Yeah. They're, um, 
they're they're fake people. They have simple lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, often they're portrayed as being really stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's my line? What's that? And like they just sort of look, and and that's all they can do. And um, there's this. Uh, it's almost looked down upon to be an actor, even though all anyone's doing is sitting and watching content. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. There's this tricky balance to strike in terms of being hungry enough for your career to be able to make these auditions and do good work and invest in them and make them well, mm. but also protect your heart, your spirit, your soul enough to, uh, to live a life that, that you can be happy with. Um, and I feel like that's one of the ways that the industry is changing that can be really tough. And even if you get past the self-tape phase, then your test for the audition is probably going to be on Zoom and are on mm-hmm. Zencaster and, and, and that provides challenges of its own. And even though you're, you're, you're acting and doing the thing, you're sitting in your bedroom <laughs> and that's, yeah. um, I think that's r- really tough. And I think that, that, uh, it's, it's hard on people's psyches to, to do that. Maybe especially so in New York, where most people don't have a three bedroom with a beautifully not. set up studio where you can, this is where I do my work. Like, you know, Elizabeth, uh, my partner, had like so many auditions during the pandemic. Just like all of a sudden, you know, she's out of her Broadway show and she's like, let's all do TV. Let's let's make all this happen. I mean, these are all happening in our living room slash kitchen where we're trying to like live our lives because we had a one bedroom apartment. Of course. And the number of times that like, especially when I'd be in the middle of a busy day that I would have to do a reading where I was the star, not she. You know, I was like, you really need a lot of acting from me. I mean, of course, that's how these yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. Four characters for me, one for you. Okay, here we go. Yeah, like, and it's tough then to, to say like, oh, I'd love to do another take because your partner's like, yeah, but I'm, <laughs> I've, I'm doing so much else. And, you know, my friends who have children, I yeah. really feel for them trying to Oof. to balance. You'll, you'll know that soon, my friend. To okay. balance um, being a parent and trying to do this thing and, you know, having the ambition to invest in it. But... <laughs> but also to to protect your life enough to be like okay we're only going to spend 1 hour on this and 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 I'm uh-huh. so grateful and I have two tomorrow <laughs> you know exactly well and it cuz it always feel I would watch her feel selfish as she went could we try it again? And I want, and I'm always like, yes, of course. Like, like this is the, we're investing in us together. I want you to be successful too. Yeah. I, I want that, but it's also like in the moment, I'm like, I don't really want to do it again, though. Of course, like, it's, you know, it's like that balance of you know, you're. It's like, is this vanity? But no, I think she, she goes. I got another good take in me. Let me try it again. It's true, and and you know, the tough thing too is the camera can read that. The camera can read defeatism. The camera can read mm-hmm. shame, and um. It's hard to get that out of your eyes some days when you're asking whoever it is to make the tape with you and you feel defeated, like I probably won't get this anyway. And um, I'm so sorry I have to ask you. I just need one more take. I didn't get the lines right. Yeah. To then, you know, pop it on and be able to deliver that. So, so I think that that's one of the real challenges for actors moving forward. And um, I do think that the younger generation who has perhaps been on Instagram, who, who does um, Instagram stories, I want to call them, where, where they're filming sure, sure. something that happens during their day, they're more comfortable just, just doing that. It's not a big deal to them to be mm-hmm. like, oh my God, look at the thing that's going on. And I'm totally relaxed and in my body and in my life here. Whereas mm-hmm. I don't have any social media and don't have anything like that. So when I film something, I'm like, I look at myself. I can't believe I look this way. Is that really what my voice sounds like? No, no. <laughs> um, the other thing I had to comment on, which is because I've been doing so many voiceover auditions recently, mm. and 
the number of times they'll say like, not an announcery voice, a natural sounding voice. And then every other word that they use to describe it makes it sound like an answer. Like smooth, charming, sounds really confident, sounds whatever, you know, but mm-hmm. not, never hokey. This is all just so nut. You're like, uh-huh. Yeah. An impossible line to describe sometimes. Exactly, exactly. But I did watch you walk that line as you played Wint Selby. And so I know you're capable. <laughs> exactly true. Exactly. Hey, kid, come on in. You got to come here. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I'll last wrap with one more question. Just um, if you did have a piece of advice that you're, you know, you're being now that that mom who helped you through uh, your Juilliard edition, and you're looking now at a 17 year old who's maybe about to start their artistic journey, what would you feel like? I really want to tell this young person. This is what I would say, especially as you audition for colleges. I think it's easy to get caught in the trap of they only take so many people. They're, they're, they only The program only has 18 slots. The program only has 25 slots. And I think the thing to remember is these programs are looking to accept great students. They're not looking to turn away students. And I think it's easy to get caught up in they're going to turn away so many people. And it's better to focus on they're going to accept this many great people and i and i could be one of those people and to bring yourself to the moment of remembering that the reason you're in here auditioning is because you love doing this and you want to study it and not that i'm worried i won't get into these programs or that i i know that they only accept 10% to think they accept 10% and, and they really want a great 10%. And I think um, to if you can put yourself in the mindset of they're looking to accept great people rather than they're looking to turn away mediocre people, you can, uh, you, you can give yourself a more life-affirming experience and, and you can, um, I think you can do better work and bring yourself to that moment. I love that. I think that may be not terrible advice for professionals who might tell themselves all the parts are going to stars anyway, you know? Maybe I need to say that to myself every once in a while. I feel like that. this is the experience of therapy for me. I've started therapy. It's okay, world. I've started Good therapy for you. this year. Um, That's great. And uh, the experience of therapy almost always is my therapist saying, well, what would you say to yourself? If you were like, it's always like, yes, I can give that advice to someone else, but why can't I, I take it? Of course. I feel like we know everything we need to know. We just so, so often get in our own way. Yeah, we can only just say it to other people. Yeah, but but obviously what Gabe needs to do is this. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, what do you need to do? Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, it's if you so know fun. what I need to do, by the way, please let me know. Yeah, that'll be the second episode of this podcast. We'll do, this will be, I'll just give you some life advice. Um, mostly fashion oriented, mostly ASCOT related. <laughs> Thank you. So Gabe, before I let you go, um, is there anything you need to plug? Is there anything that you got coming up that you want to chat about? I am about to remount a play that I did a couple years ago at LCT3 called Passover by Antoinette Nwandu. And we are going to reopen the August Wilson Theater on Broadway uh, with this production. Mm. It's directed by Danya Taymor. And um, it's a great honor to do this play and to to bring it to a Broadway audience. I'm I'm absolutely thrilled. I think it's a strong and bold move by producers to put this play on Broadway. And I, and I couldn't be more excited to be a part of it. Couldn't agree more. And I saw Gabe in this play and it was fantastic. Bless you. So I'm just going to give you the little, 
It's got the MTCA stamp of approval on this play. <laughs> Thank you. And then I, what I'm currently doing, which is why I am so hirsute and covered in beard and, and long hair, <laughs> is I am acting on a TV show called Dickinson, which is about the life of Emily Dickinson on Apple TV. And I'm joining in the third season as a new character. Uh, a heartthrob, perhaps. Or a villain? I think I might bring a little heartthrobbiness to the role, but uh, but he's just a guy. No, actually, one this... of the great one of the great joys is that this is the first non-villain role that I have played on TV. I think it's something about the way that I look. I almost always play villains on television. For, for those of you who can't see Gabe as he's talking, he looks um, evil. I think is what you would say. <laughs> Everything about him feels malicious. Absolutely. Um, in his look. Absolutely, and so that that is what happens. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Gabe. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I can't believe that you could because I had such a good time um, chatting with my old friend. Uh, it was really nice. Um, I just want to take a little bit of a deeper look into something that we were talking about, which was like that kindergarten report card. You know, it's kind of a, a, a newer concept of specifically framing it that way. But I think it's something that I've been trying to impress on students for years, and they often don't believe it, of like how important it is to find those like base level works well with others, um, is able to listen and respond, you know, finds a sense of play, able to find joy in the work, right? Stuff that we're like, oh, yeah, that sounds nice, you know, oh, yeah, but really it's about how much skill I bring to the audition. It's really it's about, you know, can I belt the highest? Can I, you know? And certainly for musical theater applicants, I do not mean to negate any of the technical skill you're going to need to show in your auditions. You're going to have to sing and you're going to sing well. You're going to have to dance, you're going to have to dance well. You're going to have to act, you're going to have to act well. But a lot of what I think Gabe brings in spades, which you might even be able to hear a little bit of uh, um, in his interview, is that sense of play, of flexibility, of looseness um, that is really attractive, both in a professional audition, but especially in a college audition. Um, and I think some of the stuff we're talking about actually with Telly too, you know, a little bit of the, the urge for correctness or the urge for perfection that we often find as artists and maybe even would make sense in certain kinds of professional auditions for a school is really not the goal, right? No one wants a final product freshman year of their, their program. They want someone who's able to learn and grow and adapt um, and all those things. Uh, sometimes I will give my students adjustments, like when we're playing in a mock audition, I'll give them something that, especially if they're that really precocious type A student, I'll give them something that's impossible to do. You know, an accent that's just too hard or I'll give two things at once just to see what happens. And you'll sometimes watch them freeze and they'll say, but it's because I, I, I don't know how to do that well. Right. And sometimes that is kind of the point is like, what happens when you don't know how to do something well? How do you react when you're thrown a challenge? Are you able to, you know, adapt to it with joy and with flexibility as opposed to sort of freezing and crumbling um, and all those things? So I think it's something that um, it's certainly true for all of us professional artists in our career to keep finding uh, adaptability and flexibility. But boy, is it true as you're auditioning for these colleges. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, and again, I hope you did and would like to hear more, please follow us wherever you can follow us on your podcast platforms. We'd also love you if you were to rate and review us. We'd love that. A five stars, a thumbs up, a smiley face. We'd like it. We'll take a comment too. God, you guys are doing great. Comments, great. We'll take them. Um, if you have specific questions for the pod, you can reach out to us at mailbag at mappingthecollegeaudition.com. That's mailbag at mappingthecollegeaudition.com. And we'll try to answer a few of them on the show as we add in these mailbag segments. 
Um, if you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individualized preparation for your college audition journey, please check us out at mtcollegeauditions.com. To my young artists out there mapping their journey, do not forget that kindergarten report card. We'll see you soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.